Have you ever been in a difficult situation? That's pretty much been the last six months, right? Yeah. I can remember one time in particular, I was uh, helping, and I've, I've told this story so many times, forgive me if I've told it here, but uh, uh, I was uh, helping my dad. We were re-roofing the house that I grew up in, uh, at least from about the age, about Timmy's age on, uh, about the age of 12. And, uh, you know, it, it was my dad, we bought this house, they did, when I was about Timmy's age, and it was an old house, and we had to be remodeled, and it seemed like until they moved out of it, there was always a project of remodeling going on. And so I grew up doing that, helping my dad do that. I've got a lot of memories of late nights working on a project or, or whatever around the house. And, uh, and it was funny because anytime we were doing anything dangerous uh, at all, uh, my mom, she would inevitably say to us, to my dad, Donnie, don't let him get hurt. To the point to where it became a joke, to where it was like, Mom doesn't care about Dad, she just cares about me, you know, and he would say that, well, I guess she doesn't care if I get hurt or not, you know, that kind of thing. Well, we were on the roof, and we had taken all the shingles off, nothing but plywood, and as you know, that can be pretty, if you've ever done that, you know it can be pretty slick. Well, to, to add to that, we had, had torn down an old chimney, and so not only were we on plywood, but there was a lot of concrete dust all over, so it was real slick. My mom comes out to tell my dad something, and sure enough, before she goes in the house, last thing she says, Donnie, don't let him get hurt. Don't let him fall off this roof. And by that time, I'm in my you know, early 20s, and so we're laughing, having a good time. Ah, ha, ha, she doesn't care about you. She cares about me. And about that time, something happened, and I shifted, and I started to slide towards the edge of the roof. And there was nothing to grab a hold of. And about halfway between where I was and the edge of the house, I thought to myself, I'm in a pickle. I, I don't, because I, there was no way to stop. Thankfully, I stopped just before the edge of the house, and I did not fall. Otherwise, I might not be here today to tell you that story. It wasn't that high, but it was, I would have been hurt. Uh, but in that moment, I was in a pickle, in a situation, and we've all been in a difficult situation. And, and, you know, even just the circumstances we've been in. You know, we call it a lot of things, being in a pickle, being, you know, uh, in a tight spot up against the wall. There's several phrases we have for it, uh, one of which is being between a rock and a hard place. And we're going to see in our journey through studying the life of Moses, his journey of faith, we're going to see that that's exactly where God led he and the nation of Israel today as they're making their exodus out of Egypt. He leads them right into a tight spot between a rock and a hard place. And so in the midst of life, regardless of whether it's COVID or some you know, other situation you're going through, if you're walking with the Lord and you are faithful and you find yourself in a tough spot, you can know that God allowed that to happen for a reason. That doesn't make that situation easy, but if God led you there, not that he causes pain and suffering, he doesn't, or in you know, trials, that's a result of living in a fallen world, but he certainly uses it. And he's got a purpose in us being where we are. He's got a purpose in you being where you are this morning, regardless of whether it's related to a pandemic or not. If you are in a tough spot, God led you there. Um, you know, you, you find yourself, we do, in these situations, and, and it, there's really no way out. Like me sliding off of that roof, there was no way of escape. I mean, either I was going to stop or I was going to go tumbling off. 
and, and you, when you find yourself in a tight spot in a difficult situation, you, you can't see a way out, that's when it's the most difficult, right? Because it's in those moments, usually from day to day, um, we, we, we can manage our lives pretty well for the most part. At least we think we can. We really can't, but we, you know, little things that we do, decisions we make, it gives us the feeling of control and power. But in those difficult moments when we can't do that, that's when we're humbled and that's when uh, we feel helpless and, and that's when life is at its most difficult. Thomas Paine referred to difficult situations like this as those times that try men's souls and they do and we've been in that for a while now. Uh, we've been tried and so Moses, he's been through this before and now he's leading two million people out of, out of Egypt and he, they find themselves in this difficult situation, and they're going to have to learn that lesson that he's already learned. In this series, we've looked at the life of Moses, an ordinary guy, a reluctant follower, a, lo- a reluctant leader, an ordinary guy that lived in a world with challenges, just like you and I live in a world with challenges, faced those challenges, trials, and sometimes he responded well, sometimes he didn't respond so well. But even with all of his flaws, even with his mistakes, he became a man that God used for his glory. Why? Because he was available to God. And you and I can do the same thing. We as a church can be used by God if we will make ourselves available. And my hope in this series is that, that as we study the life of Moses, we're studying his life to learn to experience God's spiritual principles so that we can live a spiritual life in Christ. The spiritual things, the things that God wants us to be about. Living life God's way for his glory. That's what I want. And so we look at Exodus 14. We're actually going to start in Exodus 13, but, but the, the focus is on Exodus 14. And as we look in Exodus 14, we see the most involved predicament that Israel has ever been in. They've ever faced. But they faced it, and they lived to tell the story. Afterwards, they survived. It became the most celebrated event in all of Jewish history. This amazing act of God. But they didn't know that was coming at the time. And so we're going to look this morning at lessons. They learned some lessons through this. You and I are going to look at some lessons we can learn from, from them when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. And even if you don't feel that way now, uh, you're going to at some point in your life. You're going to feel that way. So let's look at these lessons. Number one, God has a plan that requires our response. You know, they, they never would have found themselves in this predicament that resulted in God doing this incredible thing, which we'll get to. Uh, if you're familiar with this story at all, you know where it's headed, but they didn't. And so they never would have experienced that, though, had they not been willing to follow God, to respond, Moses being their leader. Remember back, he's arguing with God, I can't speak, find somebody else, anyone but me. He had to respond to God's plan. He had to be willing to go, and they had to be willing to follow uh, Moses and ultimately follow God. And you have this mass exodus, two million people. A few years ago, there was a traffic jam uh, in, in Beijing, and I, I brought a picture. Those are cars, and those, I mean, thousands of cars at, I'm not going to try to remember it, G4 Beijing Hong Kong Macau Expressway is what that is, and what happened was 
I guess they were working on the road or something happened, but 50 lanes, 50 lanes. And I've been there before, and it's, it's an impressive sight, just the, the size of the highways because there's just so many cars. 50 lanes merged to 20. Thousands of cars backed up for hours and hours and hours. And this is, think, think about it, that's thousands and that, two million people exodus from Egypt to the promised land. But this is the picture I get right here. All these people traveling, not in cars obviously, on foot, but two million people traveling in this giant herd toward the promised land, following Moses, not really knowing where they're going because they've never been out of Egypt before, right? They don't have a clue. But I I share this with you just to kind of give you a picture in your mind. You know, we see the movies, and y'all remember the Bible uh, series a while back, and and it was a scaled-down version, the Exodus was. I know they were on a budget, but it wasn't two million people leaving. Uh, and so I, I share that just to kind of get, it, get your mind wrapped around this exodus, this, this large. It wasn't just you, you and your family going out to dinner. I mean, and we've got some large families, mine included, but we're talking two million people. This is a huge, huge undertaking, huge undertaking. The nation of Israel leaves, but they leave with God's plan. Look at chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 17. 17 and 18, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. So they, you know, here's the thing. The the Israelites had been living in Egypt all their lives. That's all they had known. They, Egyptian customs, Egyptian lifestyle, they, they, the, all they knew was life in Egypt. Habits, uh, all of that had been formed in Egypt. They, they knew nothing else. As a result, God had to teach them. He needed to teach them some important lessons before they, that, that nation would ultimately enter the promised land, before they could truly follow him on this journey. There were some important lessons that he needed to teach them. He needed to get their attention. And, and really, what better way, of course, we've got 2020 hindsight, but what they were about to experience with the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, them finding themselves, as we'll see, in this, this really tough spot, and then God leading them through. But before we get to Exodus 14, I want you to look, at back, look back at verse 18 again of chapter 13. God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now we'll see, I've got a map and I'll show it to you in just a few moments. There's a quicker way to the promised land than the route that, that God led them. If you look at the map from where they were in Goshen, Ramses, to the promised land, even in that day there was a road that was much shorter than the route that God led them. So why would he do this? Why would he take them the long way around? Well, what he knew they needed this experience, this Red Sea experience, to learn some things from him. There were some, some vital lessons of dependence and trust that they needed to learn from God before they went on their journey. God had a plan, and he was, he was fulfilling that plan. And there's an interesting verse in 19. Chapter 13, verse 19, that, that, that further proves his faithfulness. Moses took the bones of Joseph. Remember back, Joseph said, I don't want my bones to be buried here. My paraphrase. 
He takes the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones from, with you from this place. God isn't just, I mean, yeah, he's, he's giving Joseph what he wants. Joseph's, I mean, you know, he's long gone by now, right? This is, the point is that long ago Joseph said, hey, God's going to come to your rescue, Take my bones with you when he does. The fact that Moses is doing this is a symbol. It's a reminder that, yeah, God did what he said he was going to do. Through Joseph promising this, that God has proven faithful. Here, short version, God keeps his promises. He promised to deliver the, land, the nation of Israel, and now he's doing it. And he's telling them, this is a reminder. God keeps his promise. He's saying, you can trust me. I always come through. God never lies here's the thing and this is important god didn't just fulfill a promise he blessed them with his presence so he fulfills his promise but then he said above and beyond that he blesses them with his presence look at verse 20 they set out from succoth and camped at etham on the edge of the wilderness the lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people pretty amazing have you ever wrestled with the will of god lately <laughs> have you wondered what god's doing you know i have to admit i'm a little bit envious of the nation of Israel here. I mean, there have been several times in my life, several times over the past few months where I've wondered, I've really wrestled with God, what are you doing and where are you leading? Wouldn't it be great if all we had to do was follow the cloud or the, or the fire? Okay, we get up, we know that we're going to follow the cloud. At night, we're following the cloud. We know as long as we're following that, we're in God's will, we're going where he's leading. I mean, he, he literally gives them a visual to follow, and the visual is actually his presence. He's showing them, he's assuring them, and again, in Egypt their whole lives, they've got habits they need to break, and one of those habits is that they've been distant, or one of those things that needs to change is that they've been distant from God, and now he is leading them. His presence is with them. He's showing them. He's showing them where to go. The Lord went ahead of them. Unquestionable. God's presence is with them. And man, wouldn't it be great when you were determining what to do and what not to do if it were that simple? And sometimes God does make it that obvious, but many times we have to walk in faith one day at a time. That's usually how God operates. And they're, they're getting to that, right? Even with his presence, they're about to be tested. But the pillar of fire at night, I mean, not only is it his presence, he's showing them, but think about it at night when it gets cool out in the desert, he's warming them. He's taking care of them. He's providing for them already. He's doing everything that they need, providing everything that they need to be able to get to where they're going. He's teaching them to trust him. But then he leads, he, he takes them to the Red Sea and he puts on the brakes. Why would he do this? What is God doing? He's led them out. He's done all these incredible things to get them out of Egypt. And now he leads them to a difficult spot, to say the least. Why would God box them in and hold them in this tight place? Well, that's because, second lesson, God has a plan that includes showing his glory. Now, the Lord leads Israel to a very poor military position. If they were going to have to defend themselves, they leave in battle formation. 
And, and if they were going to have to defend themselves, this is not a good place to do it. All right? Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pahahirath between Migdol and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say, to, will say of the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he may, so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. Now this all seems pretty simple. And, and, and I, I want to show you a map that, that basically shows. Now here's the deal. There's disagreement on which route the, the Israelites actually took. We don't know for sure. And, and one thing we do know is that where they were was right about here. All right, that's where Goshen, uh, simply, you see Goshen here, Ramses, they were somewhere in this area where they started. Now, Canaan's over here, okay? Which is easier to go, and there was a road, two roads, one that went up along the coast here, and one that went a little further south. Which is easier, going that route or way down here? <laughs> I mean, if you're planning a trip, unless you just want to see some nice scenic, go on a scenic drive, you're going to go the short route. But God, we don't, we don't know for sure. One, some think they went this way, where this red line is. Most think that this was their route. And that, that's the one that I agree with. Okay, so we're going to follow that. But either way, the point is the same. But here, here's what I, what, one thing we know is that when they left, they didn't go east. They went south. Now, they're following Moses. They don't know where they're going. But God leads them south. Why in the world would he do that? He leads them south to Etham, which was probably around here. They probably took a right somewhere around here, and they camped that first night. So God's taking them all the way down here. They camp, and then he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to backtrack, go back where you came from, and then they go south. So they go for a distance, they camp, they get up the next morning, and Moses says, hey, guys, we're going to go back the way we came from. If you're one of them, what are you thinking? I mean, you don't know what's going on, right? So God leads them. We're going to say that this purple line is the actual route. Either they crossed here or they crossed here. This is what's now the Gulf of Suez. This is the Gulf of Aqaba, okay? But I believe they crossed somewhere around here. So God leads them. They backtrack. They go south. And then they end up right here at the Red Sea. Now, look where they are. The Red Sea's to the right, because this is all Red Sea, all right? Just two branches. The Red Sea's to the right. What's to the left? Egypt. What's to the northwest? That's where they came from. They can't go back there. What's to the south? Nothing but desert. And then, I mean, Egyptians, if nothing else. And there's some pretty strong fort, Egyptian fortresses around here, too. So they are literally boxed in from all sides. Nowhere to go. They, they are, they're leaving, headed over here. Granted, they don't know where they're headed. I mean, you know, where they're going. Uh, Moses is following God, but God leads them right into a predicament. They are between a rock and a hard place. There's nowhere to go. And they're sitting there wondering what God is doing. But that is what God, that's where he led them. God has a purpose. They don't know what it is yet, but that's his purpose. 
God was gracious enough to say, though, Moses, I have a plan. He says, Pharaoh is going to think you guys don't know what you're doing. I mean, if you're following the route, we don't, if we don't know the end, we don't think they know what they're doing, right? They're just wandering around aimlessly, and that's what God says. He's going to think they're wondering, that you guys are wandering around aimlessly, and he is going to come after you. He's going to think, I'm going to, they're, they're right where I want them. I, they're in a trap. I'm going to go and defeat them or, or get the slaves back, right? I mean, he, he thinks they're, they're right where he wants them. But what he doesn't realize is that, that he's headed right where God wants him, which we'll get to. God had arranged all of this. And, and what he's doing here is he's wanting to teach the Israelites something very important. That, that they need to learn to let God fight their battles for them. And if you fast forward through the history of the nation of Israel, how many times did he do that? When they were victorious, he did. I mean, yes, he uses people, he uses us, but ultimately he's the one that fights the battles. And sometimes we do absolutely nothing, and he takes care of it. And this is one of those situations. All they had to do was follow. He's going to fight the battle. Their li- all their lives, again, in Egypt, their whole lives, growing up, away from God, and, and they, all they've known is fighting their own battles. Not very successfully either. That's all they've ever known. Moses had to learn this lesson. He couldn't, he couldn't get ahead of God and fight his own battles. He had to learn to depend on God. They've been fighting their battles all their lives, and God is saying, I want my people to learn to trust me, to learn to let me fight their battles, and, and Belsiphon is, is where it's going to happen. Up against the Red Sea, in a pickle, in a fix, against the wall, between a rock and a hard place, however you want to say it, that's where they're going to learn it, right in this moment. Look again at the first part of verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. Remember that phrase. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. Pharaoh takes the bait just as God says. He reacts just as God predicts. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. The people, and the people said, what have we done? We've released Israel from serving us. They just lost a lot of slave labor, free labor. So he, get, he got his chariot ready and took his troops with them. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt. With officers in each one, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he per- pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen, his army... Chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea at Pihirath in front of Baal Zephon. Now, we missed our slave labor. What have we done? We've let all these, these, these Israelites go. So he pursues them with his chariot army. Pharaoh does. And then he thinks he's got them right where he wants them. But the reality is, is that God has Pharaoh right where he wants him. He doesn't know it, but he does. And this is where we learn that God has a plan that requires my faith. They're between a rock and a hard place, no doubt. We can all agree on that, right? Looking at the map, regardless, you can go, regardless of where the route actually was, both places present a pretty tough spot. Whether you're right here or you're down here, there's still, you're surrounded by mountains. I mean, either way, it's a tough spot. We can all agree on that. They had to trust God. They had to have faith. Israel, though, <laughs> they see now remember, they've just experienced all these plagues that they survived. The Passover, they see Pharaoh's army, and what do they do? If you'll pardon the expression, they freak out. They panic. 
They think this is it. You know, they start out, hey, we're following God. This is great. It's going to be wonderful. He's just saved us. He's going to take care of us. And all of a sudden they see, maybe they see some dust off in the distance. They're, in, they're up against the Red Sea. And they think, well, God will get us out of this or, you know, we'll, we'll find the way. But all of a sudden they see some dust in the distance. Maybe they begin to hear the chariots. They realize it's the Egyptian army and they begin to panic. All faith, whatever faith they had, goes right out the window, and they began to panic. They, 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 look, they, they look to Moses, and they express their panic. Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They, they're terrified. I mean, they, again, they're panicked. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. Uh, you know, this, this is the first time that we read of, of the entire nation of Israel crying out to God for help at the same time. I mean, they've never faced anything like this before. They are, they are panicked. And, and it, isn't it interesting what being between a rock and a hard place will do to you? You know, people respond differently. But, you know, you can be, you know, when things are going well, you can be, all appearances, the strongest believer in the world. Faithful, trusting. But then things get tough, and that's when you decide, that's when you discover how much, how much do I really trust God? Do I really believe he's going to take care of me? So they begin, they panic, and they begin to look for someone to blame. That's usually how it is. You know, if we're walking with the Lord at all, first we cry out to God for help. And if he doesn't come to our rescue immediately, then we start blaming people. Have we seen any of that going on lately? <laughs> blaming leaders, blaming each other, arguing with each other about stuff that really doesn't matter that much. I'm not going to go into details. You can fill in the blanks. But we do that, don't we? We look for somebody to blame, and that's what they do. Of course, they, they blame the preacher. Verse 11. Moses, not that y'all been blaming me, but, you know. They said to Moses, it is, because there are no, is it because there are no graves in Egypt for us to die and be buried in that you brought us out in, to die in the wilderness? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Boy, they're grateful. And here comes the we told you so. Verse 12, isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Moses, we told you so. Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. In other words, they, they're saying we were better off as slaves. At least we were safe. Now we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be wiped out. You should have left us there. This is nothing more than a human perspective. A human response. They don't have an eternal perspective. They don't have a God perspective. It's a human response. And predicaments are that way. If you stay in one long enough, listen, I don't care how strong you are. If you stay in one long enough, you'll begin to question God at some point. You will. You'll begin to question your faith. And, and, and listen, you have every right to disagree with me, but if you've never questioned your faith, I don't believe you've been saved long enough. Because sometime you, at some point you will question, God, does God really know what he's doing? Or maybe, hey, is God really real? Because if he were, why would he be allowing me to go through this? God expects that. He understands that. And he will, if you will continue to look to him, he'll meet you where you are and show you he's real. But you've got to continue to look to him. The Egyptians made their mistake, or the Israelites made their mistake when they stopped looking up at the cloud and started looking down in front of them. 
They weren't looking up anymore. You got to keep looking up. I don't care what's going on around you. You got to keep looking up. You got to focus on the Lord. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you're doubting, you got to keep looking up. And if you do, God will meet you where you are as he does here, we'll see, and he'll lead you through toward your promised land. But you got to keep looking up. Even if you question God, you've got to keep looking up. But they are questioning. They are blaming. Blame, blaming. And that's why I'm so inc- incredibly impressed with Moses' response. I'd like to say I would respond that way. I mean, you know, I guess sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't as a leader. Um, but still, you know, they... You know, some, most people would say that God helps those that help themselves, but that's not how it is. God helps those who are helpless, who recognize they are helpless. You know, our series on the Beatitudes, spiritual poverty, they recognize where they are. But when we, we, when we finally cry out to God, wherever we are, God's response is something like this. I'm here, I will help you, you let go, and I'll catch you. We've got to let go. We've got to let go of control. We've got to trust. We've got to be willing to step out in faith. But God will help us. Our, our normal response in that moment is, is there anybody else up there that could, could help me? We're hanging off the cliff, and God says, let go. And we, we're going, what, is there any other option? Because that's where they are. That's what's about to happen. God's going to tell them to, to, to cross over the Red Sea, and they're going to have to trust him. But it's here Moses gives his best speech. Who said he couldn't speak well? He did, right? But he gives his best speech. Pretty, pretty strange advice, you know, still, Egyptians barreling down, you know, but Moses says this, he says, do not fear. Seems crazy, they're probably going, hey, Moses, have you looked? Do you see what's coming? And you're telling us not to be afraid. We have no chance here, nowhere to go. But he continues, verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm See the Lord's salvation he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Four pieces of advice. Do not be afraid, Moses says. He says, stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Now be quiet. The fourth one's the one we have the most trouble with, isn't it? God doesn't need to be informed. Now, we can tell him about our problems. Don't misunderstand. But there comes a point where we just need to be still before the Lord and trust him. God doesn't need to be informed about every detail of your problem. He already knows. I mean, he's willing to listen, but he knows. He doesn't need to be reminded of the pickle you're in. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. We, at times, it's in these moments that the human response is to panic. We're afraid, then we start to blame, and we, we, we cry out for help. But God says, stand firm. I'm going to fight for you. You've got to wait on me. My time, six months and counting, right? My time, you stand firm and just be quiet. Just, just listen. Just wait. Just trust. Just be still before the Lord. He handles life many times exactly the opposite of what we would. And that's what makes it difficult. But that's why it requires faith. That's why we have to have faith. But when we do trust God, the important lesson that we learn is that God has a plan that includes his power. 
Yeah, it's opposite from us, but it's also things, him doing things we never could do on our own. The Israelites do what Moses says. And, of course, God comes through. Once again, God does some incredible things. First, he tells Moses to go forward. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. Move toward the sea. Moses, this is what God's saying. Moses obeys. They do, they do what God says. Then God did something else. He moves the cloud that was in front of them. He takes it and he moves it behind them. Verse 19, the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. The Bible explains. Why did God do this? Well, the Bible explains. It came between, verse 20, the Egyptian and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. So the cloud moves from in front of them, pillar of fire at night, to between, behind them, between they and the Egyptian army. Why? So that they, the Egyptians wouldn't, would be confused and wouldn't know where to go, but also so the Israelites wouldn't look back at what was coming at them and would start looking up and listening to God again. God has a purpose here. He's saving them, yes, but they don't need to be focused on the past or what's around them, threatening them. They need to be focused on God. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? And right then, God performs a massive miracle. He, 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 verse 20, again, it comes between them. And then this miracle happens in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind that blew all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. Why did it blow all night? Now, what's, that, what's the seabed going to be like the minute the water comes off of it? I mean, it'd be like quicksand. There's no way they would have gotten across it. He's providing for every detail here. It blows all night long to dry it off so that they can pass safely across. All the while, the pillar of fire behind them, all night long between they and the Egyptian army. And so God's taking care of every detail. He's getting everything ready for his people to cross. And then once God takes his hand off the wind, they move right through. Of course, so did the Egyptians, but they fell right into God's trap. Verse 23, the Egyptians set out Israel moves forward. The Egyptians set out in pursuit. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, they went into the sea after them. And then God brings confusion to the Egyptians. Verse 24, then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw them into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said. Remember the verse I told you to remember, the phrase. Remember that? What was it? They will know that Yahweh is God. Look at verse 25. Because Yahweh is fighting against Egypt. Their own words. That's the last words they would ever say. Yahweh was fighting for Israel. As uncomfortable, and listen, I, I struggle with this from time to time. But as uncomfortable as it is for us to hear there is glory in God's wrath. There is glory in his wrath because it reveals his righteous justice over sin. And it's painful at times for us to see. But there's punishment when we disobey God, when we deny God, when we harden our hearts against God. And Pharaoh not only brought punishment on himself, but he brought it on his people too. He had hardened his heart. 
God had hardened it for him after he had chosen to harden it. God is deeply concerned over his own glory. Deeply. Yeah, he's, he's merciful, he's loving, but he is righteous and he's holy. He is with us personal, but he is also holy and separate. And God is concerned over his glory. Verse 26, stretch out your hand, he tells Moses, over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses lowers the staff of God, that same staff that God used to show Moses he would be in control. The Lord brings the Red Sea down on Egypt's chariot army. In verse 27, says the Lord threw them into the sea. The Israelites, on the other hand, verse 29, walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. Not a single lived, Egyptian lived, but not a single Israelite was harmed. God took care of them. Verse 30 tells us that the Hebrews later took a walk along the shoreline, nice peaceful walk on the beach. Not really. They saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They, right before their eyes, they saw what God had done. Now, the Bible doesn't say that the Israelites killed a single person because they didn't. The Bible does not say that they defended themselves even because they didn't. They didn't do anything. It doesn't even say they fought because they didn't. They didn't do any of that. They waited. They stood firm. They, they were quiet. You can't listen if you're not quiet. They were quiet. And when God said go, they walked through. That's what they did. They waited for the Lord. And when he told them to go, they walked through. Then they turned around and they watched God work. Period. That's what they did. They watched God do the work. He did it all exactly as he had planned, exactly the reason he, he had all this plan when he took them that southern route, backtracked all the way down to this predicament between a rock and a hard place. He led them there for one specific purpose, to show his glory so that they would know that he was the one true God and that they could trust him to fight their battles for them. And that regardless of how difficult their situation was, he could find, provide a way out for them. And he could provide for their needs, which he does many, many times repeated in the future, even though they falter in their faith many, many times in the future. And before we're too difficult on them, how many of us over the past six months have faltered in our faith? But God is patient, thankfully, as he was with the nation of Israel. And he continues but they had to wait. The Egyptians' last words, Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. Back to verse 19, they will know that I am Yahweh. God gets the glory, and by the way, he deserves it. You know, sometimes we think, hey, my company needs me, my family needs me, my church needs me, which is all true. God must need me too. No. God wants you, which is wonderful, but God doesn't need you or me. He can do whatever he wants without you and me. And sometimes he does when we are stubborn. God can do anything he wants. He was here before any of us ever existed. God doesn't need us. He chooses us. He allows us to be a part of his work, which is a miracle beyond miracles. But God, there are times in life where, yes, we have to serve. We have to do our part. And there are things that God expects from us, yes. But there are also times in life where we just need to get out of God's way and let him do the work. We've just got to stand still and trust him 
to stand firm, to be quiet, to listen for his voice, and then we do what he says. But we oftentimes get ahead of him, and that's where we get messed up. We've got to let God fight our battles for him, for us. Look at verse 31. sums it up pretty well. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but let me, let me just say that archaeologists have uncovered a lot of things and, and have found and have shown that Egypt did not return to that site for a very, very, very long time. They were devastated by what happened there. They, they recognized that, whether they believed or not, that Yahweh had done this, that they, the one true God had done this, and they didn't go near there for a long, long, long time. They learned a lesson. The Israelites learned a lesson. So are we going to learn lessons in our predicament? Because God has a plan that includes specific lessons, that teaches us lessons. Four lessons, real quickly. It takes Number one, it takes tight places to break lifetime habits. And I've found the longer I've had that habit, the tighter the space is. The tighter that space in the, between the rock and the hard place is. But, you know, God, sometimes he, you know, if we've got habits that need to be broken, just like the Israelites did, he's going to lead us into those difficult situations because there's no other way we and our stubborn selves will break those habits. It takes tight places. Maybe you've been desensitized to worldly things. Maybe you're watching movies that you shouldn't. Maybe you're reading books that you shouldn't. Maybe it's something else entirely. Whatever it is, if God's telling you to get rid of it, my, my advice is to get rid of it because he's going to drive you into that tight place to show you your desperate need for him and to teach you that desperate lesson. Number two, when hemmed in on all sides, the only place to look is up. And that's another lesson they needed to learn. Remember, they stopped looking at the pillar of cloud and looked back at the forces coming at them, at them and God rearranged things, his presence, in that tight place so that they would once again look at him. They would listen to him. And maybe that's why we're going through this right now. Maybe God's church needs to learn to look at him again. Maybe we've looked away. I think there's some evidence to support that. Number three, if the Lord gets the glory, if the Lord is to get the glory, rather, he must do the fighting. If we really want God to get the glory, and that's not just lip service, we'll let him do it his way. Not that we can stop him, but we sure do try. We'll let him fight our battles. And again, there are times where he wants us to just sit there and wait on him. And it's hard to do. But Charles Swindoll wrote these words, and I love them. He says, when I panic, I run. When I run, I lose. When I lose, God waits. When I wait, he fights. When he fights, he wins. And when he wins, I learn. They need to learn some lessons. Maybe we do too. Are we listening? Fourth lesson. Red seas open and close at the Lord's command and not until. Yeah, it's been, been ongoing for a while now. I'm waiting for that Red Sea to open up, aren't you? It will. It'll open when God says open. At his command, not before. Not when I want it to, not when you want it to, not when anybody else wants it to. But it will open. It'll open in his time. He does remarkable things regardless of what we're going through. He, you know, he, 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 he does it his way and in his time, but he does it 
in a way that can only be explained by the power of God and his glory and his presence. But if we will wait, if we'll trust, you won't just see a miracle, you'll be a miracle because you'll be transformed by his power and his presence. I can't tell you why all of what's happening has happened. can't tell you why we keep experiencing difficulties and challenges in life, along with maybe, you know, it may not be having anything to do with COVID. It may be your personal life. Your kids are not following the Lord the way that you want them to. Maybe things, you have, you've lost a job or things aren't going well at work. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Maybe you're dealing with some other illness or somebody you love is dealing with an illness. I can't tell you why all those things are happen, happening and why it takes those tight spaces for us to learn difficult lessons. I can't tell you why we're in this, between this rock and a hard place, but I can tell you that, that according to God's word, there's a promised land ahead of us if we'll trust him. I believe that. But listen, coming to the Red Sea is just as important as crossing the Red Sea. Because again, there's lessons we've got to learn there. And if we miss those lessons, we'll never get across the Red Sea. If we miss the lessons, it's in those moments when life is difficult, as tears are flowing, it's in those moments, if we will look to God, that he will never be seem closer and never seem more real to us. It's in those difficult places. You talk to somebody that's really suffered and look to God, and I guarantee you they will tell you that he, they felt closer to him in those difficult places than they did immediately afterwards. And in a strange way, they even missed that difficult time, that pain, because they felt so close to God. It's in those tight spaces that we experience God in ways that we never could. My last year of seminary, my master's, I was, had a few classes, full schedule, but I had one Hebrew class I had to finish had to finish up. And of course, you know, rumor around campus was that this guy, that he wasn't the most difficult professor on campus, but he did have the hardest exams on campus. And I'm thinking, well, it's my only shot, my only choice. I got, I mean, I have any other choice. I had a specific class I needed to take. So, you know, I I took him and um, get there. First day of class, get the syllabus, a lot of work, but no tests that entire semester. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get out of here without taking this guy's tests. Well, about two or three weeks in, he decides that the class is not doing the work that he had assigned, so he completely changed the syllabus on us, completely. He added two tests plus a final exam. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is not fair. I was doing the work, by the way, because I was ready to get out of there. I was ready to graduate. I was doing the work, and so he's punishing the whole class. I say, let them fail. Let me get out. <laughs> he punishes the whole class. I've never in my educational career done this, but I made an appointment with him. I went to see him, and I explained to him. I, mean, I, I, I said, you can look at my work. I'm doing the work, and now you're adding all this stuff to this. I don't believe this is fair. Well, he didn't care <laughs> whether I thought it was fair or not. He didn't change a thing. And I walked out of his office realizing they're not, I've got three choices here, okay? 
I can give up and quit and stay in school another semester, take this class with somebody else next semester. That was one option. Not a great option, but that was one. I could get angry at my professor, get bitter, and just complain to everybody who would listen, which I would have had good company because that's what the entire class was doing. They were griping at each other about this guy. Or I could suck it up, do the work, and graduate. I chose number three. And if you allow me a moment of self-indulgence, I aced the class, by the way. It was hard work, and those tests were hard, but I chose number three, and I graduated on time. Others did not make it through that class because they chose one of the other two options. Now here, this is why I tell this story. We've had some difficult days behind us, right? And, and we've been reminded of that in grand fashion this week. We're in a difficult, tight spot. A lot of difficulties. The way I see it, we've got those same three choices. We can give up. We can quit. Throw in the towel. We can get mad at God. Grow bitter. We can gripe at one another. We can fight over things that I'm not going to mention specifically, but it's happening right now that Satan will use to divide us if we're not careful. We see it all over in our country all over the world fighting over things that are insignificant in the grand scheme that's number two or we can choose number three together we can wait on the lord we can keep moving forward we can trust god and i guarantee you one day we will enter his promised land for us you know the enemy that we fight this is spiritual warfare folks don't misunderstand you know this is spiritual warfare And the enemy we're up against is strong. His forces are strong. But make no mistake, God is stronger. Difficult days behind us. But I believe with all my heart there's a promised land ahead of us for this church. I've said it before. And I still believe it. And no amount of circumstances during the week from the last week to this week is going to change that. But we've got to stop, stand firm. We can't be driven by fear. We've got to stand firm. We've got to wait on the Lord. And we need to be quiet and listen. We've got to trust. But if we do, God will come through. I don't know much, but I know that God is faithful. And if we trust him, he will prove himself faithful. Now let's just spend a few moments in prayer, thinking about that, meditating on that. If you're in a tight spot this morning, the only way out, be it in this life or through eternity, in eternity, is by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This hasn't been a gospel message in that sense, but I can tell you right now that if you don't know Christ, there is no way out. You have to believe that he died for your sins and invite him into your life. Trust him as your Savior, and he'll rescue you not just from your tight spot, He'll rescue you from sin. And that's the tightest spot you'll ever be in with no way out on your own. But for the rest of us, let's let's just talk to the Lord for a few moments and maybe listen for his voice. Father, we all desire, I believe, The reason folks are here in this building today tuning in online is because we have a desire to experience your plan for our lives, 
because we love you and we want to worship you and hear from you, but we, we have a desire to know your plan for our lives and for this church. Your purpose in all of the sickness and suffering that we see, the turmoil around us, how are you going to use it? What are you, what are you going to use it for? We want to know. But evidently right now is not the time for us to know. We know some things. There have been some lessons along the way. We know that you are God. We know that we need to depend on you more. We need to look to you. But there are a lot of unanswered questions too. So now's the time for us to be quiet and wait. To keep doing what we know we are to be doing. To keep spending time with you and your word. To dig deep in your word. Not just to skim over it, but to spend time in your word. To spend time in communion with you daily and intense focused prayer in our prayer closet at home to worship together in whatever way we can to keep moving forward even if it means taking three steps forward and two steps back we keep moving forward we trust you we wait knowing that in your time in accordance with your plan and your purpose you will prove faithful. You will open the seas in front of us and we will march through safely toward the promised land that you have for us. For this church, for the future that you have for Wall Highway, but also individually, the plan that you have for us on earth, for our families, but most importantly, the promised land that is heaven in your presence for all of eternity where there is no suffering or sickness or death no trials no tribulations no racial turmoil no division no arguing no bickering no hatred no sin no mistakes no need for forgiveness because we will be pure and holy we will be as you are and as we were intended to be according to your word perfectly in your image we have that to look forward to regardless of what life brings even if this life ends for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior we have eternity to look forward to if we can keep focused on that it'll make the difficulties of today easier to bear It'll make waiting easier. Lord, you are faithful. We know this. We forget it from time to time. But we do know you're faithful and we trust you. Lead God and direct us in your time, in your direction, in your will. In Jesus' name, amen.